if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to go ahead and tell you to turn to the book of 1 Peter, and we'll get to our reading our section here in just a moment, the passage that we're going to be covering this morning. But what we're going to see is that Peter in this passage, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 16, and Peter shifts gears here. He takes this moment and he moves on from what we've been covering the past few weeks, which is he reminds the people of their hope in Jesus Christ. And he does so in a couple different ways. You know, he's writing to believers, new believers, that are facing troubles. They're facing difficult times. They're, they're facing some tribulations. And, and maybe even some of them are facing losing their life for this newfound faith that they have in Jesus Christ. So he takes the beginning portion of this letter and he reminds them of three different areas of their hope in Jesus Christ. And he kind of does so in three different tenses. He does so in future, in present, and in past tenses. In verses 3 through 5, he looks at the future tense of their hope, which focuses on their inheritance of their salvation, which will be an eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. In verses 6 through 9, he begins to look at the present hope that we have in Jesus. That no matter what type of trial that we face, that they faced, and that we currently face in our lives, our hope is in Jesus Christ. And then last week we looked in verses 10 through 12 where, they were, where Peter was talking about how their salvation was something that the Old Testament prophets had looked into for thousands of years to study and see if they could figure out this, this coming Messiah, this soon coming Savior for the nation of Israel. And it even talks about how the angels had looked into this intently, how they wanted to understand and know this salvation which came from Jesus Christ. Now, if I'm being honest with you this morning, I really believe that if there is a passage that I believe that we need to memorize, that we need to embed into our thinking, and that overall the American church needs to focus on in this time, is this passage from verses 13 to 16. And here's why. Because he begins to build on this hope. He changes gears here. And he moves. He's, he begins verse 13 with the word, therefore. Now, whenever you see this, this is a conjunctive term, which means that he is connecting the previous thoughts with the thoughts that he's getting ready. He's connecting this lesson with these practical applications and these action steps that we're going to see Peter challenges us with. Now, it's important for us to remember that we do not leave behind this lesson. We don't leave behind this hope. This is hope that we carry with us for the rest of our days that he has just talked about in verses 3 all the way through 12. But what we're instructed to do and what we need to do is make sure that we're taking this hope that he's just detailed to us and we're building on it as we move forward. Now, one of the reasons that I think that it's so important for us to, to really lean into this passage this morning is because even in the midst of a global pandemic, even in the midst of a health crisis in a place where we find ourselves in unprecedented times, facing unprecedented regulations and doing unprecedented things like staying at home almost all the time, I see us all falling back into a state of complacency and getting comfortable. In this time as it began, we began to really focus on God, focus on prayer, focus on His Word, focus on our relationship with Him, focusing on connecting with each other and really investing each other's lives. And now we're seeing that there's becoming this sense of settling. 
at, at least I, it's, it's happening in me, it's happening in other people that I see, that we're not facing this thing with the urgency that we once did. You see, as fallible, fallen human beings, we have this tendency to grow complacent no matter what type of situation it is. It begins to become normal to us, and we get comfortable, and we take our foot off the gas pedal, so to speak. And I believe that we're in a dangerous time right now that not only physically, but spiritually, if you're finding yourself at a place that you are backing off seeking God, and if you're finding yourself growing complacent, then we're in dangerous times. I kind of, this thought came to mind as I was thinking about the situation that we all find ourselves in. I worked for a company several years ago, and, and we were a branch of a larger company that was based out of state. And our corporate headquarters from every, you know, every now and then would come in and they would spend anywhere from a day to a week with us. And they would always make sure that they let us know beforehand before they showed up. And what we did was there was this big run-up process that we made sure that everything was just ship shape. I mean, everything was, was tidy. Uh, the, the SOPs, the PPEs, the MSDSs, all of these words and, and things that stand for different things, we made sure that all of those were in place. We made sure that all the policies were followed. We made sure that all the safety protocol was right on, to, you know, right on spot. And everything just happened as it was supposed to be happening. And I remember one of these visits, as the person from corporate was pulling away, one of my coworkers looked at me and went, man, aren't you glad that we don't have to do this all the time? And we were doing nothing other than what we were supposed to be doing. But yet, we had gotten so comfortable and so complacent with what we did that we cut a lot of corners, and we didn't pay attention to detail, and we lost our focus. But yet, whenever things got bad, or we knew that there was a possibility of things getting bad, then we made sure that we walked the line. And it kind of feels like we're in that same situation today as a church, that maybe, maybe this sense of urgency is starting to leave us, and we're not making the efforts that we were making at the beginning of this thing. So go ahead. Uh, you, I've already asked you to turn there. I guess I'll turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. Verse 13 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you would, bow your heads with me, please. Father, I am thankful for this opportunity once again to be able to look from your word, to learn from your word, and to be challenged from your word. God, just as we spent a time of worship with Emily uh, and some beautiful songs that glorified your name, God, help us to understand that, uh, that number one, it's not about Emily. It's not about uh, her instrumentation, her voice. It's about lifting glory and honor and praise to you. God, also help us to understand that we are moving into another realm of glorifying you. We're moving from singing into glorifying you in your word. So just like it's not about Emily, God, this is not about me. This is not about my words. This is not about my oration. This is not about anything that I can do in and of myself. This is about glorifying and honoring you with and through your word. So God, I pray that that remains my desire and my focus throughout this message. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, in this passage, Peter begins, and he really encapsulates two main verbs. And, and in the English language here, there's, there's a lot of different verbs that are used, but the two main ones in the original language was number one, fixing our hope, verse 13. So he's talking again about, he's making sure that we don't detach ourselves from this hope. He says, fix your hope, which means don't neglect it. Don't leave it behind. Don't feel like this hope is something that you move on from. This hope is a foundation of our faith, but our foundation is something that we should never, ever think that we need to move on from. So this action verb of fixing your hope is one of them that he uses. But the next one he uses is be holy, or maybe better, be obedient in your lifestyle. And I think that, um, I'm going to use a church word here. Now, if you've never been in church, then this is a word that's going to sound foreign to you because you're not going to know, know what it is or what it means. Now, even if you have been in church for a while, this may be a word that you've heard, but you may not know what it means. And that word is sanctification. Now, there is a big theological debate amongst people who are far more intelligent than I am about how exactly sanctification happens. Is it immediate? Is it instantaneous? Is it progressive? Is it something that happens over time? Listen, I'm not going to try to sort that out because, frankly, I'm not smart enough to understand that. So I'm not going to act like I am and try to convince you of something. But I do believe that we see from God's Word different tenses in sanctification or being set apart, because that's what sanctification means. It means being set apart for Jesus Christ. Now, just as we had looked, you know, we talked about the three senses of this first part of 1 Peter. We talked about the futuristic hope that we have in him, the present hope that we have in him, and even the past hope that people had in him. We also see, we, if you joined us for our sunrise service, we where we went over the life of Peter, we saw three different tenses there also of Peter's failure, that Christ knew about his failure before he did it. So there was a past element that he already knew. You know, he told him in the upper, uh, upper room as they were taking part in the Last Supper, Jesus said, you know, you're going to deny me three times. And then there was a present tense, which the Gospel of Luke talks about, that when Peter did deny him that third time, said that Jesus turned around and took notice. And then there's this futuristic element that the blood and the love of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any failure that we can ever have. If we have a genuine faith and a genuine relationship with him, then our failures, past, present, and future, are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've talked the past couple weeks about the forgiveness of our sins, about how it has three different tenses also, about how it has a past tense, about when we came to Jesus Christ, when we gave our hearts to him, when we repented and when we asked for his forgiveness, there was a, an immediate forgiving of our sins in the past. We live in a relationship with Jesus Christ where there is a promise that any sins that we commit now are forgiven when asked and repented of. And then there's going to be a futuristic tense of, of deliverance from these sins, of whenever we are removed from sin's presence, when we stand face-to-face -face with our Lord Jesus Christ in eternity. And I believe that there's also three tenses to sanctification or being set apart as well. I believe the first one of those is at the moment of salvation. I believe that there's an instantaneous change in us. I believe that we are set apart at that moment because we receive God's Spirit that comes to dwell in us when we turn our hearts and our lives over to Him and when we are obedient to Him in baptism. There's an instantaneous work of being set apart, of sanctification at that point. But it doesn't stop there. 
I believe that there's a progressive or a present tense work of sanctification or being set apart in our lives as we grow closer to God each and every day. And as we mature as believers, then we see this progression of being set apart in sanctification happening more and more and more in our lives. And I also believe that there's a futuristic tense of this sanctification or being set apart that one day we will be completely made whole and we will be completely set apart for him when we see Jesus face to face. Now again, like I said, I'm not a real smart person, but there does seem to be something here about Peter with these tenses of past, present, and future. Guys, Jesus Christ is the hope of everything of every tense that we could possibly have, whether it be hope for our past, hope for our present, or hope for our future, it is all encompassed in Jesus Christ. Now, I really wanted to be able to have a story, an illustration for us here that really kind of encapsulated this and brought this home to us. And I, I could only think of one uh, story from my past, and I don't know if it's going to achieve this or not, but this is a story I really enjoy telling. And, and in the words of, of Harry Brown, for those of you who knew him, uh, Harry would come up to me and he would say, listen, Ben, I'm going to tell you a story. And if I've told you this story before, don't stop me because I want to tell it again. And that's basically what I'm going to do with this story. Um, several years ago, I worked for a company on the, on the river system, uh, basically Ohio, uh, Mississippi rivers. And we worked 30 days on, 30 days off. So as we were coming aboard for one of the hitches for one of our 30 days, the cook on the boat at that point was, was telling us we had a little bit of a drive that we took in a van to get to where the crew change was going to take place. And the cook told us, he said, guys, I'm making fresh donuts this time out. And we're all like, oh my goodness, that sounds so good. We can't wait for that. So it's about a week, maybe a couple weeks into the hitch. And he tells us on a Friday, he's like, tomorrow morning for breakfast fresh donuts. And we're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. Can't wait. Well, I worked the back watch, which let me explain that to you. We worked 12 hours a day out there, but we worked them in two six-hour shifts. You had the front watch and the back watch. Now, the back watch, our time that we worked was from noon till 6 p.m., and then we worked from midnight till 6 a.m. Well, all night, you know, like that early Saturday morning, we were just, we could smell the donuts because the cook would get up at like 3 a.m., begin to get breakfast ready. We could smell them. We could taste them. We were drooling all over ourselves. It was, it was a wonderful moment of anticipation. Well, out there on the river, what they do is every, the, the menu's not necessarily fixed, but for lunch, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you always had the same thing. Lunch on Friday was fish. Lunch on Saturday was steak. And lunch on Sunday, which to this preacher's enjoyment, was fried chicken every Sunday for lunch. But we get in there at Saturday morning. We'd been relieved, so we're coming into breakfast. All of us are slamming these fresh donuts on our plate, which I've still got some issues because the guys who came on watch ate before us, and they didn't give us warning. But they bring, you know, we all slam donuts on our plate. We pick them up, begin to just shove them in our mouth, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm going, it's got this weird film on the top, you know that film you get kind of on the top of your mouth? I mean, Cookie, did, uh, did you change out the oil from yesterday? And He just looked at me, kind of panicked. The same oil, the same grease that he had fried the fish in for lunch on Friday was the grease and the oil that he used to cook the donuts that morning. 
was not a pleasant taste. So take just a moment and think about fish-flavored glazed donuts. Yeah, it's not pleasant. Well, the next week, he says, I'm going to give it another shot. So we make sure that the oil changed this time. And man, it's as glorious as what you would think it was. And we're sitting there, we're eating. And uh, the guy who's in charge of the shift, the mate on our watch, he, uh, he sets his donut down. And about the time he's getting ready to take a bite out of it, he gets a call on the intercom from the pilot house. And the captain's asking him to come up to the pilot house, kind of give him a rundown of everything that had happened overnight. Well, you can't take food like that into the pilot house, and he realizes this. He also looks around and sees how we're shoveling down these fresh donuts. So he knows that his donut's in jeopardy if he just leaves it there. So he decides what he wants to do is that he picks this donut up, he looks at all of us, and then he goes and just licks this top side of the donut. He sets it back down on his plate. It's going to keep it safe. So he gets up, goes out to the pilot house. Well, about the time that he clears the door and we hear the latch hit, one of my buddies who was working with me at the time, he gets up, he picks up the donut that he had just licked the top side of it up, he flips it upside down, licks the bottom of it, puts it back down on the plate. Now, we were decent human beings, and whenever he come back down, we told him what we had done, and, and he didn't eat it. But he went and got him another donut. And he, this time, he picks it up, he takes it in possession of his hand, he licks the top side, licks the bottom side, and then begins to eat it. Now, whether this is going to make sense or not, I have no idea, but that's, I'm going to kind of use that as an illustration for this sanctification process, the being set apart thing, is that the moment that the donut was in his hand, it was set apart, it was his. Okay? The moment that he licked both sides of it, it became even more of his. It became even more set apart for him. But it wasn't completely and totally his. It wasn't completely and totally set apart until he had consumed the whole thing. As I believe that there's a time, there's, there's, a, there's a setting apart process that happens whenever we give our hearts to Jesus. I believe that there's a continual process of being set apart for him as we go through our lives and as we mature in our faith in him. But I also believe that there's coming a time whenever that sanctification process, that being set apart, is going to be complete. And that's when we see Jesus face to face. Now, in this passage, getting into uh, the meat and potatoes, so to speak, or wait a minute, I'm from eastern Kentucky. Todd's sitting right here and he's allowing me to do this. It's not meat and potatoes, it's meat and taters. Come on, man. What's wrong with me? But let's get into this, and I believe that there are uh, some lessons that Peter tells us here, some action steps and some practicality measures that we have here in that second verb, that being holy or being obedient. I believe he instructs us on how we can be more holy, how we can be more obedient to God. And let me just say this before we get into these, that I, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. There's no level of personal holiness that we can obtain. There's no level of obedience that we can walk in that's ever going to qualify us for salvation. That's never going to happen. We're never going to be good enough. We're never going to be holy enough for salvation purposes, for an eternity in heaven. That can only happen through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the only one holy enough. He's the only one, he's the only sacrifice through his blood that can ever make that possible. But as we go along and as we mature and as we grow, believe that there's some steps that Peter lays out here for us. And I believe that the first uh, first step that we can take in being more obedient or being obedient to God is that we must focus on Jesus Christ. And we see that in verse 13, whenever he says, 
With your minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So let's look at a couple things here really quickly. I believe that our obedience and our holiness and becoming closer to Jesus Christ, I believe that that happens first in our mind, in our thought process. And that's where I believe that becoming uh, obedient and increasing in holiness, I believe it begins in our thought life. I believe that if we're going to successfully live for Jesus Christ, then we need to first and foremost deal with our sins, deal with our failures, and deal with our shortcomings in the realm of our mind. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he talks about taking every thought captive. And I think that he's saying this because he understands that it, it takes root here first, and it's a thought before it ever becomes an action. And we need to take these thoughts captive before they actually begin to manifest themselves in our lives. I also want to propose to you this morning that it's in our thought life where our faith is either proven to be genuine or proven to be fake. And I think that each person, I've said for years, I think that we need three filters in our lives. I think that we need a filter for our eyes of what we see, what we allow in. I think we need a filter for our thoughts, and I think we need a filter for our mouths. Now, I've met very few people where there have been all three filters in place. Now, I'm not going to call you out, but there's some of you out there, you know which filters you're missing. Uh, some of you know which filters you have, or maybe which filters need to be taken out, cleaned up a little bit, and then replaced. But I think that we need to make sure that we're focusing on Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that, uh, that Peter tells us that we can do this in verse 13 is to be alert, or some of the terminology he uses is to be sober, to be vigilant. He goes on to use this same word again in chapter 5, verse 8 of this same letter where he talks about being vigilant, being alert, being sober, being aware because our enemy roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Guys, make no mistake about it. We live in the enemy's territory. We live here on earth. We, this is our residence. This is where we live, but this isn't our home. And don't ever consider it to be your home because we live in a dark flawed place, sin-filled world. This is where we live, and it's the enemy's territory. So if we continually allow this enemy's territory to influence us, this is what we consume, this is the junk, this is the garbage that we take in, that we eat, that we see, that we listen to, that we reproduce, eventually that's going to be what comes out of us. If it's junk and garbage that we take in, it's going to be junk and garbage. And if it's junk and garbage what we're thinking about, then it's going to be junk and garbage what we manifest too. Now, I think that we also need to understand that being focused on Jesus Christ is motivated by His grace. Now, remember, it's a therefore situation, okay? We're building on something here. We've not just turned the page and moved on, okay? Therefore, throughout this whole chapter up until this point, He has been reminding us of what God's grace has already done, is doing, and will continue to do in our future. Guys, there's a, such a wonderful visual here of thinking about all of the things that God has done, all of the wonderful things that He has blessed us with, all the amazing things that He is blessing with, really at some point is going to pale in comparison to what His grace blesses us with in the future, especially our eternity in heaven. And it's all through His grace. I believe the next thing that we need in order to be more obedient to God is that it requires 
our entire life. It requires our whole life. In verse 14, we see Peter say, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You see, this Greek word for conformed here is only used one other time in the New Testament. And that's in the book of Romans 12.2 when Paul uses it. saying, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed, you know, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. There's something about this thought level. There's something about this evil desire, as Peter puts it. Or some translations talk about the lust of the flesh. Guys, no matter what type of lust, lust can go beyond sexual desires. But what lust is always about is about selfish, evil desires. There's not one element of lust that ever just happens. It never just makes itself manifest. It never just happens physically. It's never just an immediate outplaying. All selfish desire and all lust begins with a thought. There's not been one time that you've looked, on, looked upon someone with, with lust in your heart that it didn't start here. There's not one time that you've had a selfish desire that's played out in your life where it did not start in your mind. Focusing, being sober, being alert, being vigilant, and understanding that it's an entire life thing is huge to us living for Jesus Christ. I think that these evil desires, these lustful thoughts, these selfish things, this is what the enemy uses to create distance between believers and God, and I believe that that's what he uses to keep those of you who don't know Jesus Christ from knowing Jesus Christ is because we think that we have to have it our way. Now, I, I'm afraid that there is such a wide sweeping thing of shallow Christianity or nominal Christianity, which means Christianity, you know, Christians in name only. I think that there's such a wide sweeping um, cases of these, especially in America, because we feel like Christianity is something that's added to our lives. We're promised this abundant life. And really, I mean, who wouldn't want that? If you've got somebody up there going, hey, you want an abundant life? Hey, you know, want more to this life? Of course we do. Yeah, I've got a pretty good life, but I can always use more, right? But see, whenever we look at it in a way that we can have Christ, but not have to change our lives, then that's false Christianity. That's not what the Bible teaches. Whenever we're presented with something that says that we don't have to give up lustful desires, we don't have to give up pride, we don't have to give up uh, these, these evil desires of our heart and these fleshly desires, if that's the gospel you've been presented and if that's the gospel that you've accepted, my friends, you need to seek Jesus Christ, read his word, because that is not the true gospel. Jesus himself required that his followers lay aside everything. He wouldn't even let them go back to say goodbye to their families. He wouldn't let them go back to, to bury their dead. He said, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything you have, even down to it very well may cost you your life. You will face persecutions. You will be ridiculed. You will go through these difficult situations for his name's sake. Now, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while that doesn't sound real happy and joyous, remember we're coming off of a section where Peter's going, our joy and our hope is not established in things of this world. It's established in Jesus Christ, in our future inheritance, in our present time, and in everything we've ever done in our lives. Our hope and our joy is based in him. 
So we need to understand that true saving faith, true saving faith requires repentance. It requires turning. And repentance is, is, is more than just saying I'm sorry. Repentance is not only being sorry, but it means to turn your life around. To turn 180 degrees in a different direction and point towards Jesus Christ. That's true saving faith. That means that you are turning towards Jesus and away from your old life. I believe the next thing in us that Peter shows us to, to be obedient to God is that we need to remove the line between secular and sacred. Verse 15 says, Be holy in all you do. All that you do. Not just some things. Not just in church on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights. Not just at the fellowship potluck dinner when everybody can see you, but be holy in all that you do. That even means being holy when no one else is around. That thought life again. J.I. Packer says in his work, The Puritan Vision of the Christian Life, on pages 24 and 25, he says this, There was for them no disjunction between sac sacred and secular. All creation, so far as they were concerned, was sacred, and all activities of whatever kind must be sanctified. That is done to the glory of God. Now, in verse 15 and 16, I think we see another thing that helps us to be an increase in our obedience in God. We must grow in our knowledge of God. Now, I believe that whether you're a non-Christian, whether you're a surface-level Christian, a nominal Christian, or a growing Christian of genuine faith, I believe that the solution for all of us is the exact same thing, and that is for us to turn to God. If you would turn to the book of Isaiah with me, please. Isaiah is an Old Testament book, not too far after the book of Psalms and Proverbs that you'll probably run into as you're flipping there. We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 57. We're going to read verse 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In all your ways, be holy. Be holy as God is holy. Look to him no matter what your situation no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you're standing with him, whether you're a believer, you're a non-believer, whether you feel like you've been a believer and you've fallen away, whether you feel like you're thriving in your relationship with God, turn to God. The solution is the same for all of us. Leonard Ravenhill says it this way, The greatest miracle that God can do today is take an unholy person out of an unholy world and make them holy and then put them back into an unholy world and keep them holy in it. So what is our part in this? How can, how can we um, you know, work and co-labor with Christ in making this happen? I think it's us walking in obedience and increasing in obedience. And we increase in obedience 
by focusing on Jesus Christ. We increase in obedience by giving Him our whole lives, and we increase in obedience in growing in the knowledge of God. Now, if you're watching this morning, if you're listening to this this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, the solution is the same for you as it is for this preacher of 20 years. Turn to God. If you're facing this situation and your life is in chaos and fear is all around you, the same solution applies to you. Turn to God. If you want to make a decision for Christ this morning, I encourage you to go to the web address that you see on your screen, fccgrayson.com backslash prayer dash request. Please don't put off this decision. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If you've done that and you're full of fear, you're full of doubt, turn to God. Focus to God. And we would love to partner with you, pray with you, and, and connect with you. So please let us know the decision that you've made this morning. Bow your heads with me again. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge in this. Help us to grow in you, to grow in our obedience, grow in our holiness in you through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to focus on Jesus. Help us to surrender everything in our lives, not just parts of it, but our whole life. And God, help us to grow in the knowledge of you more and more every day. Help us to grow closer to you each and every day. Father, I pray for those that are seeing this, that are listening to this, that you would give them comfort, that you would bring peace, that you would bring uh, stability, spiritual strength into their life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.